Hey, this is Billy McPeak, pastor of Grace Point Church. And this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you and motivates you. I hope it builds your faith. I pray it gives you a perspective to see God moving in your life. Enjoy the message. It's like, I don't really believe what you're telling me. I hear what you're saying, but I'm not fully convinced. You don't know, if someone was drowning in water, they, they would be, they'd be a fool not to signal the lifeguard. If a house is on fire, they would hurriedly call the fire department. Wouldn't we? We would call the fire department. My house is on fire. If your home is being burglarized and your life is threatened, you would take every effort in your arsenal to call the police to make sure that your precious valuables are not taken from you. I'm simply illustrating that someone would normally want to be rescued from peril. Someone would want to be rescued from a difficult time in their life where they're being invaded. But the interesting fact uh, of, of many people, and even in this generation, and it's nothing new because Agrippa said the thing, same thing. He says, almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. And basically what he's saying is, I hear what you're saying, but not yet. Not yet. You got good news. You presented it well. It sounds enticing. I think about it, but not yet. In the movie Gone with the Wind, when, when things would get tough, uh, Scarlett was heard to say, fiddle dee dee. <laughs> I'll think about that tomorrow. You know, there's a, there's a group in uh, America called the Procrastinators Club of America. They were formed in 1957, and they devote themselves to putting off just about everything until tomorrow or later. The president says this, and these are his words. He says, we feel that anything worth doing is worth putting off. <laughs> you know, it goes back to the old motto, why, why do today what you can do tomorrow? But then I thought, why, why do tomorrow what you can do today? <laughs> It's all about how we think about it. Ironically, none of their, none of their members pay their dues on time. <laughs> and the president, president said, he said, if they did, we'd throw them out of the club. <laughs> he said, we feel that the ultimate thing to procrastinate against is war. Just think, if you keep putting off wars, eventually you'll forget what you wanted to fight about. <laughs> I don't know about that. I think it just gets worse over time. <laughs> Oftentimes, but procrastination is the avoidance of doing a task that needs to be accomplished by a certain deadline. You know, I work a secular job, and, and so I had a deadline this week. Nobody likes deadlines. I was sitting in a meeting on Monday. It was about eight-hour meeting, and, and uh, I, I went in for the first half of the meeting. I really didn't like that meeting and went back for the second half of the meeting, and, and it started off kind of rough. Uh, but uh, I was, so I was sitting in the meeting, and, and uh, 
one of the uh, project managers just leaned over to me and said, oh, yeah, by the way, I sent you an email, and uh, I need all that stuff by Friday. And I'm like, did you see that lift he gave us in the first meeting? I mean, it's that long. It was like Santa Claus list. And uh, so nobody likes deadlines. You don't like to be pushed to do something. But you know what? I met the deadline. I worked on it. I had four days to work on it. And I met the deadline. I couldn't put off what needed to be done. I couldn't hold up other people because of my indolence or my lack of indecision or my unwillingness to capitulate or to produce the goods or the data or the material that needed to be produced. Procrastination is the avoidance of doing a task that needs to be accomplished. You know, some people with, with an apparent uh, exorbitant amount of time to waste fig- figure that if you make $50,000 a year, every minute that you waste could cost you 50 cents. So it could get really expensive. Wasted time. Paul said this in the New Testament. He said, redeeming the time for the days are evil. There's a lot of time wasters. My, my phone pops up every once in a while and says, your screen time is down this week. And, and the, on my tablet, if my screen time is down, that's probably not a good thing because that's where I do most of my studying at. But on my phone, that's a good thing because that means I'm not looking at Facebook. I'm not looking at Snapchat. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I've not got that lighted instrument in front of my face the whole time all day long. Your screen time is down 20%. So apparently somewhere along the way, I was redeeming the time. I was taking back some time. I was recapturing some moments in my life that that really needed to be taken care of. Some important things that needed to be taken care of. For every new idea or invention, you can find a dozen people who thought of it first. The problem is they only thought of it. They never did anything about what they thought. I'll put that off. That's a great idea, but I'll, I'll deal with that later when I have more time. It's a somber thought today. It is. To the Christian, it's a great, it's, it, it's a great message because you're sitting here, you say, I'm saved, I'm filled, I'm happy, I'm thrilled, I'm redeemed, I'm part of the, I'm part of the, the bridegroom of Christ. And yet many times we procrastinate about certain things in certain areas in our lives. To the one who is not saved here today, this, this message hits as a bullet to your heart because you, you, you're, you're having to deal with something that you would not necessarily want to deal with at this time. Could I say today that tomorrow was too late? I read a poem the other day and it said he was going to be all that a mortal should be tomorrow. No one would be better than he tomorrow. Each morning he stacked up the letters he'd write. He'd e- each evening he'd count the battles he'd fight tomorrow. He was a man who would work like a fiend. The world would have known him had he ever seen tomorrow. 
But the fact is he died and faded from view and all that was left when living was through was a mountain of things he intended to do tomorrow. Acts 24 verses 24 through 27 says, And after some days, and this is the Apostle Paul being pulled before Felix and Festus. I like Festus. He's a good sidekick to Matt Dillon. (laughs) But this is not the Festus that we're talking about. But it says, after some days when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And now he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. So he's concerned about his living. He's concerned about his life. And the Bible says Felix was afraid and answered to Paul because this is what Paul was addressing in, in, in the dialogue that's going on. Felix answers him. He says, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul that he might release him. He was wanting Paul to bail out and him to get money because Paul was bailed out of prison. But Paul was pretty content about staying there. As a matter of fact, he wrote um, about 11 of his Pauline epistles from a prison cell in Rome, under, under, under uh, captivity. He didn't let prison define him. He allowed God to speak to him. And he wasn't necessarily there because he did anything wrong. He was there because of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. At one point, he he said, I'm a servant of Christ. He's got chains on him. And yet they bring him out every once in a while, and they bring him before the kings and and the nobles of the day. And, And when they bring him out, he doesn't just speak swelling words that that would try to make them feel good and try to tickle the ears of the people that he's uh, speaking to, but he actually tells them about Christ and he shares his testimony, shares with them what God did for him and how God changed his life. And they were intrigued by it. They, they were actually intrigued by it. He was not a sideshow. He was not a court jester. He, he was not a clown that they brought out just to poke fun at. That was not what Paul was about, nor the reason why they brought him out. But they brought him out, and the Apostle Paul took full advantage of the opportunity before him, and he would tell them about Jesus, and he would tell them that they needed to be saved. And and Felix said, go away for now, for when I have a convenient time, I'll call for you. See, Felix had the the truth of God proclaimed to him by Paul, but he said, listen, later, later. I'll send for you another time. Oftentimes, that is our response. I remember growing up, God, I'll get my life. I'll I'll, I'll start doing right when I get married. Come on. God, I'll start living for you when I get school behind me. God, I'll I'll start doing right when things start evening out in my life. God, I'll give you my heart when I get everything right. Can I tell you today that you'll never get everything right? You need to give God your heart today. 
You need to give yourself unequivocally, full potentially to God today. Don't leave this building today and not know Jesus. Amen. Don't leave this building today and not know that you're saved. Amen. And ready. You got to know him. You know, we're all given revelation of God. Revelation actually is a gift of God. God reveals himself to the sinner as the hope for salvation. And so I say, don't look away in contempt. But God reveals himself to the believer in mission and majesty. And, and we, we can't get to the place where we ignore God's mission for our life and the majesty that he has in our lives. And so revelation is invitation. And when God reveals himself to us, that is a revelation to an invitation from God. All of us have revelation in our lives. We've all seen God in different ways and various forms. The scripture says in Deuteronomy that eternity is hidden in our heart. That means that there's a God-shaped hole in your heart that nothing else can fill. Many of us try to fill it up with, with, with drugs or alcohol, but the bottle doesn't fit. Many of us try to fill it up with love, but the heart doesn't fit. Many of us try to fill it up with career pursuits, but the career-oriented lifestyle doesn't fit into that God-shaped hole. We try many different ways and means to fill this void in our lives, and the only thing that can fill the void in our lives is a healthy and right relationship with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Aren't you thankful that he loves you? Aren't you thankful that he cares for you, that he died for you? Aren't you thankful that he condescended? Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. Jesus is the vehicle through which God gets to man. I heard one man say it like this, God plus God is too far away from man. Amen? The distance is too far. Man plus man, there's no redemption in that because we can't redeem ourselves. But you take God and you take man and you pair them together in a sinless body. Now you have a bridge between the divine and humanity. The Bible says that he came and he dwelt among us. Heard one preacher say he became identified with us. Listen, but not identical to us. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. I'm about to preach in here. Amen. Because if he was identical to me, then he would have no power to redeem me from my condition. But because he was sinless and born of a virgin. Amen. He has now the power to redeem me from my sinful condition. So he identified with me, but he's not identical to me. But the Bible says, as many as receive him, gave he the power in the King James or the right to become 
the sons and daughters of God. Hallelujah. Aren't you thankful for the right, the privilege, the access, the revelation of who he is and what he has done? So revelation is an invitation from God. And anyone who says that, that they can't find God in creation, they're just not looking. Revelations 1.19 says, Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, God makes it so plain to us. We look at the intricate detail of the human body. We look at the intricate details of, of nature. Man can create a car, and we've made them where they're very intricate now, the where you can't work on them. And yet the complexity of the new vehicle today is not near as complex as the body that you walked in here with. Man is still trying to figure out and doctors are trying to figure out and science is still trying to peruse that intricacy of the human body. What it's made up and and the cells and how they break apart and that cell breaks apart and that cell breaks apart and that molecule and all of those things that make up the body for what it is. And then the standards say there is no God. He says, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, even his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that they are without excuse. You're not going to get there on that day at the judgment seat of Christ, however it happens in the rapture or whether you you go by the grave, however it is. You're not going to get there on that day and, and say, I didn't know. You know, I, oftentimes I deal with, I deal with men and, and, you know, you've got people that are in certain places of authority. And when people are in certain places of authority, you expect a certain amount of productivity out of them. And you expect a certain level of responsibility from them. And there's nothing, nothing more frustrating than having a person who's in a role of authority or in a position of authority who's abdicating their responsibility. And so you say, well, why does this look like this? So-and-so did it. They did it. Yeah, but you're the, one in, you're the one in control. Why didn't you make sure that it was taken care of before you left the project? Well, they, they were over there working and, they, you know, You're over them. Why didn't you go and make sure that what they were doing was right before you come and told me that what was done was right? You know what I'm talking about? So, so we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden where Eve ate the apple, gave to her husband, and then God comes in the cool of the day and he says, Adam, and Adam's over there behind that bush shaking like this. Because a fig leaf's not enough to cover himself. Where are you? Because God's searching. God's searching. And I believe God's in this room today and he's saying, Adam, where are you? Eve, where are you? 
And when we finally come to a place where we, we can't get away from him anymore, he says, where are you? And you say, I hid myself for I was naked. And he said, who told you you was naked? He said, well, you know, it was so-and-so's fault. It was my drug dealer's fault. It was my buddy's fault. I had a friend, I had a young man that went to church here for some time. And uh, he got saved and, and uh, he decided that he was, he was ready to go and witness to all of his, his unsaved friends. And I told him, I said, listen, you're not, you're not ready yet. You're not ready to go and, and visit them. You're not ready. <laughs> so, so he went over there to, to, to his friend's house, and he said, I'm going I'm I'm, I'm to witness to him. And they got to witnessing a little bit and got to drinking a little bit. He started drinking a little bit, and the other one started drinking a little bit, and he started drinking a little bit. Then they got in a fight, about killed each other. They called me, and I, Brother Steele and I ended up going to the hospital and getting him out of the hospital. We got out of the hospital, and he was giving us a hard time. I said, we're going to leave you right here. You ungrateful. Because <laughs> he never would, didn't want to take responsibility for his actions. It wasn't that other guy's fault. It wasn't the devil's fault. It was his fault. I am responsible for me. Amen? Now, as a father, I'm responsible to my wife. As a pastor, I'm responsible for this church. As an employee, I'm responsible for the men that are under my care. I'm responsible for certain things. But when it comes to salvation, I am responsible for me. And I can't slough it off on somebody else. I can't say it was my wife's fault or my children's fault. It, you know, if, if, man, you know, if my children would have just been better, I wouldn't have drank so much. If my wife hadn't been so nagging, I might not have went and did that. You know what I'm talking about? When it comes down to the final climactic moment of your life, no excuse is going to stand in the presence of God. Amen. I got to know him. 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 And no excuse is going to stand in his presence. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, revelation is what God is doing. It's an invitation for you to join him today. Because tomorrow's too late. He's invited you today. Sister McPeak, come. I, I, got, I got to my first point, but I think I got to where I need to be. See, as believers, we have a calling of God and our accountability to that calling determines our spiritual equilibrium. How I respond to the gospel, how I respond to Christ, how I respond to the word. I can't wait until it's convenient because it never is. Scriptures told of, five, of, of the ten 
virgins, five were wise and five were foolish. And they all were waiting. They were all going to church. And just because you're in church doesn't make you a Christian. And just because you read the word doesn't make you a Christian. Christianity doesn't happen by osmosis where you're sitting real close to somebody that's spiritual and it just rubs off on you. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to make a personal decision. I need Jesus. He said, well, Pastor, I'll wait. I'll wait until it gets a little more convenient. I remember the, the gospel group, uh, the Winans. Anybody remember them years ago? The Winans. They had a song. And, and I, you know, back then, I, I, I've told you, I, the radios weren't that good. At least they, they were pretty good. But they, they're a whole lot better today for a guy that's got one good ear. And so I, I didn't hear a whole lot of the words, but I heard a little bit of them. But the beat was really good. I knew it was gospel. But they had a song that they, and they, they titled, uh, entitled it Tomorrow. So Jesus, here I stand. Won't you please let me in? And you said, I will tomorrow. Jesus said, I am he who supplies all your needs and you said I know but tomorrow oh tomorrow I'll give my life tomorrow I thought about today but it's so much easier to say tomorrow and then they end it with who promised you tomorrow Better choose the Lord today. For tomorrow very well might be today. Almost is never enough. I don't know the spiritual condition of of Agrippa or Felix or Festus or any of those men, I don't know exactly what happened in their lives, but I do know that they all had an opportunity. To come to Jesus. Hallelujah. The Spirit and the bride say, come. The church and God says, come. Would you know him? Paul says, Grippa, do you believe in the prophets? I know you do. I know you believe. See, most likely there's some here today who have heard the truth of Scripture. You believe the Word of God. You believe that Jesus is who He says He is, but you've done nothing about it. You've not surrendered. You're almost there. You're almost persuaded. You're almost ready to make the change. You know, there's a, there's a story of, of a man that, that uh, was healed of Jesus. And, and uh, the, Lord's, the Lord's invitation to him was, Get up. 
See, the, the time to respond to his invitation is now. The time to get up is now. The time to stand on your feet is now. It's not tomorrow, it's now. You know, think about that man who, who couldn't walk and his friends let him down through the roof of the house. We'd have a problem with somebody tearing the roof off our building while we're sitting here. But what they were saying was, our friend needs Jesus. He can't get there on his own. So we're going to do everything we can to make sure he gets an audience with the Savior. That's the responsibility of the church. I got to carry you to Jesus. The house was packed and they lowered him through the roof and Jesus told him that his sins were forgiven. That his faith had healed him. And then he told him to get up. Take up his mat and go home. And you know what that man did? He said, you know, I think I'll get up tomorrow. No, that's not what he said. I don't think I want to make... I, I know people that won't make decisions for Christ because of certain benefits they're receiving from the government. That's real preaching. But when it involves your eternal destiny... You've got to choose Jesus and begin to make the changes so that you can get on the flight. Stand with me this morning. He got up. He got up. I, I, I know I'm preaching to someone this morning. I dare you to respond to what God has put on your heart this morning. Give your heart to Christ. Lay it down at the altar. Say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for joining us. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Because of you, this ministry is possible. If this encourages you, we ask that you subscribe to receive these podcasts or share them on your social stories and tag us at GPC Arkansas. I pray you have a good week.